turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> low, low, Tim, Tim, Tim. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> you could understand me. Great. And hello, everyone listening. If you're listening to this live, as in when this is relatively newly released, welcome to October 2021. Welcome to Dismembering Horror, episode 163 of Dismembering Horror. And that's appropriate for 163 because that's exactly what we're doing here for this month. We're we're uncovering the spoils and riches of three, oh, sorry, four part threes <laughs> of the famous franchises. Four part threes, but two part threes are the third part in the same franchise, but different canons. And we can make so it there. even more confusing. out. <laughs> we can make it even more confusing too. But first, let me just continue on. Say what but that this- second part three is the part two of a new trilogy of part uh, three parts of the original canon of the franchise. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, we'll get all that to even more. Let me say this is what this is, even despite all that. Episode one hundred sixty three of what? If you're still wondering, it is of dismembering horror the podcast show where myself ryan mcduffie and myself tim aslin (laughs) that's right we dismember a horror film for you all the time every week we talk about what worked for us what did not work for us and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film all in the spirit of friends getting together just, just you know, doing doing what you want to do. Just have a ball, watching horror movies, talking about them afterwards. And also, as we are filmmakers, we come at it from that particular lens too. Not necessarily by intention, but by default for just who Tim and I are. So we're picking it apart, aka dismembering it. All that, all that good stuff. We're glad you're here with us. Thanks for being here. And this is... <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Ryan. What are you looking at, Tim? Oh, you know, my life is flashing in front of my face here. Well, <laughs> me too. My it's life... something. My life flashing before me in the form of you on my little, <laughs> my little screen Yikes. here. That is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is our third, our third October in the life of this podcast shoe. And maybe, hey, that's why we're doing this, Tim. This is our third October. We're celebrating by doing four threes. We thought, yes. you know, we have our we have our our key art logo, our splash page uh, artwork we're pretty proud of. Tim and I in wolf form uh, standing around a dismembered slew of horror icons, including, you know, we got a... Uh, Jason Voorhees right there with his disembodied, dismembered head sitting on a spike of a gate. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no it's no. his arm it, is the get machete. Get it right, Ryan. We that- got Michael Myers on a spike. We got Jason Voorhees <laughs> on uh, the ground. He's been chopped up. And, we, and we've got Freddy's, Freddy Krueger's right. hand, you know, gloved <laughs> the knife hand thing. 
fingers, knife fingers, um, sitting there somewhere. Right, bleeding. Uh, right, yep. right, Dis- disembodied, yeah. Great. So we thought, you know, it'd be fun to have an excuse to actually talk about these major franchises, too. And since, I don't know, there's something... I don't know, maybe someday we'll do them for some reason, you know, the original ones. But traditionally, the original, the first ones are the ones that feel a bit more done to death or already discussed or most familiarized. (laughs) Done to death. (laughs) (laughs) But something, I think there's an interesting effect that happens with the third one, uh, which I'd love to get into throughout or maybe just in our things of note section. But it's after the first sequel where they're just trying to do more of the same a lot of the time. It's sort of the third one can be where if it does continue on, which it did in this case, where it almost congeals into itself. It's establishing (laughs) the formula, so to speak. Or it's maybe ending or it's being looked at as a trilogy when it's first made. Mm -hmm. Um in the case of all, yeah, I should just say we're doing so starting today, Friday the 13th, part three. The next week we're doing Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream. I always forget. <laughs> Dream Warriors. Masters, Warriors. Dream Masters is the other one. Dream Warriors. And then we're doing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Then we're doing Halloween Kills, which is. Halloween 2 in the new series, but also is a Halloween 3 if you're looking at it in its uh, chronological order, counting which of those films do, the new Halloween films, counting the original Halloween as the first Halloween film. and it's New al- canon, let's call it. Right. And it's also um, the new canon of Halloween is actually the third canon. That's how we can do it to make it even more confusing because we have a separate uh, series oh my within God, Halloween. Right. We have the Rob Zombie Halloweens also. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. So uh, we'll be doing two Halloweens since those kind of branch off and you could say technically have two part threes and we're excited for the new one. But yeah, for the other OG ones, Friday the 13th part three, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Great. How exciting. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Exactly. October. Crisp. Leaf smoke apple smell in the air yeah at the time of recording this we're the last few days of september in los angeles and it's like someone just flipped the switch over into fall we've had two gray days in a row here it's been it's been nice anyways we bought um we bought a little mini broomstick that's like cinnamon scented you mean from trader joe's yep (laughs) yeah (laughs) hang that in the uh in the apartment great yeah i'm sure uh you two are going we bought an apple cider candle oh i'm uh yeah no i can only imagine you two going all out for this high holiday that's great i will say the apple the apple candle (laughs) is uh it's a little too much i walked into the apartment this morning i was i went and got some coffee i walked into the apartment and was hit with <laughs> with this uh, candle smell, and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's more than I need in the morning." <laughs> A little pungent. <laughs> Got yeah. it. All right. So, well, but it, you know, better than smelling like you know trash or something like right. that. Right. So, Tim's uh, tip for the holiday: uh, mini broom, cinnamon broom. Yay. Yes. Apple Thumbs candle. Up. Nay. Meh. Meh. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Tim. We got a whole movie of a major franchise here to jump into. So I think we should do that. How about it? I'm ready. All right. And we like to do just that by setting the stage with the partial trailer for you listeners. All right. So from 1982, uh, written by Martin Kitrosser, Carol Watson, and uncredited writing credits to Petru Popescu, and directed by Steve Miner. Here we go. Friday the 13th, part three. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Jason, you can't fight him. can't stop him. And now, you can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part three in 3D. I like how they had to release it in August so that they could release it on Friday the 13th. <laughs> hey, it's a summer movie, right? Is it? Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. You're right, because it's at camp and all that. It's coming off of part two, which, yeah, it was, you know, summer camp yep. setting and all that. Well, Tim, for some uh, fun friend context here, I would love to know just your your history, relationship to and with, uh, how you kind of how you kind of sort and rank maybe both the Friday the 13th as a franchise, kind of like among the two other franchises we're talking about, Halloween mm. and Nightmare on Elm Street. And then if you can kind of curtail that in, if you have any specific already, you know, memories with this Friday the 13th part three. Okay. Um, so I, you know, the Halloween and Friday the 13th franchises were happening while I was very young. Right. Like I think the first Halloween is 78 or something like that. And the first Friday the 13th is right around the same time, I feel like, or maybe a year earlier or something like that. So I didn't see those. Obviously, I was like zero or one or two or whatever. Um, But I was very aware of them by the time I got to like maybe four or five, six years old. Um, I think probably just because, you know. They're around, people talk about them, make reference to them. The masks in particular for those two movies, um, they're just, they were around. And it was also the 80s, so it's not like you were sheltered from that stuff, or at least I wasn't, you know. Um, having said that, I never watched any of these. And wait, sorry, uh, do you include Freddy with Nightmare on Elm Street within all that? He was super No, so, so Nightmare graphic. on Elm Street, I remember when that came out. Like, that was... Uh, that like that was a clear memory um 
I did not go see that either. I was still too young. What year did the did Nightmare on Elm Street 84, come out? 84, um, I believe. Yeah, 84. So that was the year, yeah. So I was five slash six. Um, so still too young to see that. Uh, I kind of, I, I, I feel like when I started to see these movies was about, oh man, let's see. It would have been... I probably would have been about 10-ish. Yeah, uh, 8, 8 to 10. Because I remember Dream Warriors coming out, and I remember I didn't see it in the theater. I was still too young to see any of these in the theater. But, like, home box office, like, I we didn't have HBO. My friend had HBO, so, like, I would go on a sleepover, and we'd, you know, if one of these was on, we would watch it. So pretty, still like too young to be watching these things for sure. But I, I have a, I, I was never that into these three franchises as a kid. I kind of came back around to them when I was like maybe, God, uh, I'd say late high school. Yeah, probably that's probably about right. Um, for whatever reason, it seemed like they had been. I don't know. They just weren't that cool to me. By the time I was in high school and we were all going to horror movies and stuff, that's when like Jason X was coming out. So it, it was to me, it was dumb. Like it had it had jumped the shark before I got to it or it got to an age when I wanted to see them. So I wasn't into it. I always thought Freddy Krueger was kind of dorky back then. Like I didn't get the humor of it. Um, and Michael Myers, I went and saw, uh, Halloween H2O in the theater. We had a dollar theater, uh, in town. So that was cool. Um, and, but it wasn't good. You know what I mean? Like I didn't go in with like a long understanding of the franchise. I kind of vaguely knew it. I don't think I had seen the original Halloween when I saw H2O. So I was kind of like, okay. Like, I get it, but, like, why? Um, so, you know, these were not... I wasn't into these that much as a kid. I came back to them when I was in my 20s, I guess, or, yeah, probably my 20s, and was like, I'm going to watch all of them from start to finish. You know, like, every, every movie in every franchise. And I think I've now done that. I'm pretty sure I've done that. And I like them now, because there's, like, weird nostalgia surrounding them, and... And they're, I can like kind of view them for what they are. So um, it, it took those watch throughs to solidify yeah. them for and, sure. And the context of the franchises, right? Like if you just pick, I kind of said this about the the wolf, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, like same kind of feeling where it's like out of context of the entire series, I don't love them individually, but like when you watch them, you know, as a grouping, they're super fun. Okay, so then to wrap up this very long-winded explanation of my history, I have a distinct memory of the first time I, I was actually uh, exposed to Friday the 13th uh, alone. <laughs> like, like I was not supposed to be watching it. And... 
it was like, you know, a weekend where I was staying up late by myself. I was probably six or seven, mm, maybe eight. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm going to sleep. We had a refinished attic. So <clears throat> I was like, oh, I'm going to sleep in the attic, right? And watch TV until I fall asleep. But I like stayed up way later than normal and was flipping through the channels. And I think it was probably USA Network or something like that. And, you know, I, I flip it and there's there's Jason Voorhees in the mask chasing, uh, in this case, uh, what was her name? Chrissy or something like that, right? The, the, the main girl in this one. Chris. Chris. Chasing her from the barn in and she gets in the van like that whole sequence i watched all all the way through to uh, i think him getting like chopped and i was like this was too much for me (laughs) (laughs) i was like i shouldn't have been watching this i like i felt like i was gonna get in trouble like i was like now i'm gonna have a nightmare and then i have to tell my parents that like why i'm having a nightmare like i had that whole thing of like weird freaked out kid thing like like exposed too young so i think maybe that's why i never went back until i was much older to these movies because i was just like traumatized by that (laughs) one scene um but i did not know going into this one for this episode that that was that was the one until that scene came up and i was like core memory it's just happening. <laughs> I like it's great. I I love it's this one we're talking about. Yeah. It was, uh, I was like, "Oh my god, yes. I've unlocked a thing in my brain." Well, how about what I was asking though, like I'm curious just as franchises, how you kind of compare, do you have a favorite sort of franchise versus favorite um villain or like how do you kind of parse parse this amongst the all three of them? God. I think now I'm a Michael Myers fan. I think that I like Michael Myers and Michael Myers' story more than the others. I'd probably rate it like or or group it like Michael Myers first, then Freddy Krueger, then Jason Voorhees. Like I just don't find Jason Voorhees the the like the lore of him, like how they built that character. I don't find it particularly deep or interesting. Whereas the other two actually feel like they've got a lot of character, like, history. Um, so, you know, I don't dislike these movies, but I really compartmentalize the Friday the 13th into f- dumb fun. You know, like, let's just have an unstoppable force kill a bunch of teenagers who are super obnoxious. So take that for what it's worth. What about you, Ryan? Let's <laughs> let's let's flip it over to your uh, experience. Thanks for asking. All right, I'll go in uh, opposite order. We'll sort of talk about them as a whole, like what I just asked you. Then my history. As soon as you mentioned how Jason Voorhees' backstory is this kind of you know grabbed you the least or whatever. It's funny. I think that is exactly what the appeal for him is to me is I like that it's 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 all about the formula and not about the backstory, especially for these 
I mean, you have that bit of that little bit, of course, the mother stuff, whatever, whatever. But just that I think this third one encapsulates so well is just <laughs> Jason Voorhees. It's I guess we get into the Tommy Jarvis stuff later on or whatever. But there's a purity I appreciate about these films and this formula. Um, I don't know. It's hard for me to rank them specifically. Like, I love all three. Halloween, Michael Myers has the moodiness, a different sort of just representation of evil than Jason Voorhees. I love... um, And Freddy, I don't know. Maybe is my... Favorite, if I had to pick one, just as far as the things that like the nightmare crossing with reality stuff, like just the potentiality that that allows for the gimmickry and the kills, it just allows for so much imagination. I think yeah. there's something really fun about that. I, I don't I, know. that like we'll talk about it obviously when <laughs> we get to Dream Warriors, but that concept is so cool to me right it's it's the same it's the stuff i love it's it's another (laughs) realm stuff right like we're going from realm to realm like i that's so fun yeah so you know so it's it's hard for me to yeah i don't know honestly i kind of am just you know kind of like the beatles they all have their different appeal i love them all it's hard for me to pick but if i were to think in terms in my you know filmmaking brain i can't help to go to if i had to pick what would i most love to make the order would be a nightmare on elm street first then a friday the 13th then a halloween um so again the so the nightmare on elm street for just the playground of dream nightmare murder kills and then friday the 13th because of the the purity of it as i said the formula i just love the standard just kids get into the woods get killed off it's great i love it and then um and then halloween maybe it's just because it's already been (laughs) redone right now it feels less like a allure but anyway and then as far as my history with it all uh it was really good to hear you mention that you had that one instance with this film as a kid turning it on and just feeling like this is scary I should be watching this whatever cuz I think in particular I remember the Friday I was aware of them all as a kid but I particularly remember the Friday the 13th series just sort of being the one I don't know that was sort of at the top of my periphery or I was most aware of and that within that kind of like you describing your instance, there was um there was an allure to them. Like there's a there is a like the how do I put it? Like even without having seen them and just the, the mood of them, there's something when you're a kid, you're especially susceptible to it or just aware of it and can see it. Not that adults can't too. But just, you know, whatever it is that the music just does such a good job of pulling out, the feel, the vibe, whatever. Uh, that I just remember being really aware of as a kid. And I had other friends who were like me, who were, you know, even though we were in probably like the third, fourth, fifth grade, but we would find ways to watch these movies, to get and watch these movies. I forget exactly how. Just had VHSs lying around, whatever. Rent them from the store. Um, But they were fun. I always loved them. I don't know. I feel I, like- I think there's something to Jason's the iconography of Jason with the hockey mask that yeah. makes him actually feel cool. Yeah. Um like he seems optically more like a superhero or like a like 
like a cool imagery like i don't know he's he's big and and you know imposing but he it's a weird thing right it's a dude in usually some sort of i don't know jumpsuit kind of not really jumpsuit but like some sort of uh work clothes Mm -hmm. and this machete and and uh hockey mask and there's just something strangely cool looking about that whereas the other two they're not really cool looking like Michael Myers is weird is just strange like <laughs> yeah you know like his thing is actually is a very specific um uh coveralls and and a William Shatner mask so it's like that's weird it's just I mean it's cool it's now because right it's yeah yeah exactly it's more like what's going on and Freddy is scary like I think Freddy is is unsettlingly like or upsettingly scary yeah from an image point of view so jason i i agree as a kid i was like jason's the cool one yeah you're right it was that he was cool because especially at that age you're just susceptible to whatever that is that 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 superstar rock star effect that he might have over the others it kind of i don't know if it's like is would if they're in a band would freddie be like the mick jagger lead singer and then <laughs> and then we have Jason is like the lead guitarist and then um Can you imagine Michael, this band? And then Michael Myers is the bassist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Chucky is the drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to like Animal and the Muppets totally. Yeah. Um that's great. Uh I don't know. So but I I then I would just kind of I forget when I first watched them all through, but I feel like just sort of there was a High school, maybe like, um, you know, late elementary school, early middle school sort of watch through of all or most of them, then a more deliberate sort of, you know, probably college era watch through of all of them. Then I remember in my 20s doing like mid 20s doing a rewatch of all of them. And uh, I don't know. So just that every like five, 10 years, whatever goes by. I'm probably due coming up one of these next few Halloween seasons, but I would just watch them all. And yeah, and like you were saying, there's just the appeal is kind of watching them all together and seeing how they continue it and yeah. and just having fun, as I said, with the Frankenstein meets Wolfman with both the continuity and lack thereof. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but it's great. And I... I love, as I said, yeah, already about the Friday the 13th, though, ones in part three in particular. There is something so special about the formula for me, about the formula for me. And this one does it pure and hard. And I love it for <laughs> it. You mean like completely just gives up on trying to be a good movie and just goes full force into the gimmickry of the <laughs> franchise? I would say that is it stepping into being a fully good movie not <laughs> right, right. N- not necessarily not tr- i don't know what they're you assume that's always their intent to make a good one <laughs> I, I actually think that this movie the third this one and maybe this is true for a lot of the thirds we'll we'll kind of explore this but i think the third movie sets the precedent for the future franchise right like you don't always know that you're gonna it's going to become a franchise yeah but the third movie seems like the one that says okay this is what we like this is what defines the franchise yeah very often um that's a that's a 
theory of mine. I, I, I think I'd have to sit down or as we watch these, see if that holds true. I yeah. guess the, the Halloween ones probably kills that theory. But um, regardless, there there is something to the like getting getting to a third movie that makes or breaks extending that further. And even though this one was not received particularly well critically, it definitely like put its stamp on what Fred or what uh Jason and and Friday the 13th movies are supposed to quote unquote supposed to be. Yeah, give the fans what they want. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, we didn't even mention yet this even though this is official title Friday the 13th part 3, you could extend that on the posters. It will often say below that 3D. This was indeed released in 3D originally. Um yeah, and actually I can't Tim, I'll I'll refer to it later for something I do remember from the screening, but I have seen this in theaters at the New Beverly. I oh, really? cannot remember if it was in 3D or not. I'd have to do some digging. But I've a couple of memories watching it. I'll share in what worked. But we got to curtail this all into our rating system. Would we tell ourselves to avoid, stream, rent, or buy this film? I'm talking, so I'll just go ahead. This is a total box set buy. These are the classics. There's a new Scream Factory release of all these films that was really well done. I <laughs> Just because I don't own it doesn't mean I wouldn't want to. But uh, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, good friend, is gracious to lend me his coffee copy of this one right here. But yeah, man, just these are these are the three three great franchises. I guess to spoil my other one, sure, buy them all. I'm happy to have them. They're these characters. Yeah, I mean, I I it's hard for me not to agree. Like, as an individual movie, would I want to like just one just randomly be like oh tonight i'm gonna watch <laughs> friday the 13th part three you'd be no. like what we did for this <laughs> right like no way it was hard for me not to like do other stuff during this because i just was sort of like oh yeah 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 i get i get it i know what's going on yeah it's like you well, can casually kind of have it on but, but that was like this was the opportunity to really uh right involve <laughs> get you know yourself but, yeah so like Individually, I would probably, if this was just a standalone, I'd probably say, ooh, I'd probably say rent it because it's iconic and the it's so ridiculous. Like the kills are just hilarious and the 3D aspect of it. Like I didn't watch it in 3D, but like the, it's very obvious every attempt they made to... <laughs> <laughs> to to uh, expand on the 3D visuals, so it was fun for that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm box set by. I guess if we we add that as a uh, official rating, <laughs> we'll see how that sorts out. I'll let you decide. Great, cool. All right, done the trailer, done the rating. Onto the summary. So Tim, <laughs> the 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 story that did keep your rapt attention this time through. Would you uh, care to or be able to give us a brief summary of the events of this film? Yeah, I can give you a brief summary. Um, the day after the events of Friday the 13th Part 2, a group of teenagers decide to go um, have a little 
you know, excursion to one of theirs. Uh, I actually, I got to say, I think this is unique amongst them in that it's never like they're coming off of their high school, whatever. This could be one where they aren't specifically teenagers. So the actor's ages could actually be accurate. They're all just friends. That's true. That's true. Um, So a group of young friends. (laughs) 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 Um, Go off to uh, Crystal Lake. One of them has a family house there that she has not been to in a couple of years. We don't know why necessarily at first. Higgins um, Haven. Yeah. And so, you know, we quickly find that Jason from the last, uh, the end of the last movie did not die. And he's just been, uh, <laughs> just been wandering around the woods and he needs some clothes and he, you know, he, he's, he's looking for, he's looking for clothes and, and things to kill as per usual. Um, so he starts killing some people. He gets some clothes off the uh, clothesline. Um, but anyway, the story is that these group of kids come back. They um, settle into their little little house on a farm, and they you know they're they're young people smoking dope and banging. You know that's the that's basically what's going on. Lo and behold, Jason Voorhees has taken refuge in their barn or the barn on the property. And of course, one by one, each of them encounters him and gets killed, leaving us with Chris, our our final girl, who we find out two years earlier. And the reason she hasn't been back to this property is because she (laughs) one night um, wandered into the woods alone and fell asleep under a tree. And was attacked by Jason Voorhees, uh, presumably in the midst of the events of one of the other movies. Yeah. I don't know if it's the first one or the second one. Um, I guess it would probably be the first one. Yeah, that's, this is where the sort of trying to make sense of the continuity is just yeah, like, Yeah, because of, what? he's not even right, like, around in the first one. Because you go, it's would, his mom. wouldn't it have to be enough time for him to age to get bigger? So how much of a gap was it between <laughs> right. the first and the second one? But she looks exactly like how she does in this one, so she can't be that much young, younger, which would make right. me think it's the second one. But she's acting as if this is something that happened long ago if it, it was she says two years ago, okay so okay so you know. it wouldn't be the second one then because that was just last night right but <laughs> did, so that was two years jason grew up i mean yeah who knows well and we we can well, talk no, about I, I guess it was just in his time outside of the the first it was, exactly it was, yeah it was okay okay got it is it was just a, except that he's wearing he's wearing the clothing I think he's wearing the same clothing that he finds on the clothesline in that scene. So it's like, whatever. <laughs> right. <It's- laughs> so anyway, so right. That's the backstory. Uh, he, you know, he goes it through everybody as he's want to do. And Chris, you know, she, she uh, survives. But, but, you know, the events really send her over the edge and she kind of has lost her mind and, in the end, she's being put into a, a police car and taken away, probably to an asylum. Yep. But Jason's supposedly dead, you know, in the barn. Yep. And we. I remember the beginning of part four, so. <laughs> right. And we get a uh, callback to the first movie ends this one. <laughs> 
which makes no sense because Chris didn't know anything about Jason's mom. But how does that not what she didn't? What I mean, she didn't okay, have so, much time to react. She didn't go, "Oh, Jason's mom," or but she didn't. <laughs> she, you know, it's like she was. But attached. it's a dream. It's a dream. How could she have a dream about Jason's mom if she doesn't know Jason has so a mom? So your definitive interpretation of the end of the first one is that the Jason kid is a dream? N- no. No. Uh, that the jury's out on as far as I'm concerned. My definitive take on this film is that that moment in this film is a dream. Because she gets carried away at the end still. Correct. And also because she's seen Jason come out of the house and then disappear when she's in the canoe. And then, you know, Mrs. Voorhees jumps out of the lake. But then we cut to her being taken away and Jason dead in the barn. So uh, that to me is very clearly okay. a dream. I have but if a- that's a dream, how would she have a dream about Jason's mom in the lake? And um, I, I mean, I know the reason why that's in the film. Should we explain that? Because it's kind of just a thing of note. This film originally was written to have Ginny come back and be the lead and and seek revenge on Jason after she finds out that he's still alive and killing. So this very likely was the final scene. It would make 100% total sense to have Ginny be back in a canoe and have Mrs. Voorhees come out of lake. It would wrap up the trilogy. And then that, you can leave that, I don't know if they would have, but you could have left that vague about whether or not any of this is a dream and have her still get taken away in a, you know, ambulance or cop car or go crazy. But okay. that's, you know. Well, within all that are the semi-musings of my my non-literal interpretation of <laughs> this ending, the dream ending, and why it works in an almost meta sense. So, so should we should we jump into what worked? Then? I, I think so. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, here we go. Next section: What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked for you? Well, all right. I guess to set that stage, and I think an overall thing that works for the franchises, for or this franchise in particular, sort of coming off you know, trying to get at how these films have that uh, an allure to them, a mystique, a feel, an iconography, you know, that we were so aware of as a child, but still, you know, just in a different, lesser extent way is still why uh, I think a lot of why they're popular to this day. Um, it's, I don't know how out there <laughs> this may sound or whatever, or maybe it's just how to put it, but it's like you think of of iconic movies or movies that have icons that are, you know, this that strike a chord or for whatever reason, they're almost like the they hold a that the the fact that they do that well, it means they're that so for some reason it strikes a chord with like the collective consciousness. You know, it's like they almost sort of exist 
in a dream nightmare space, right? That sort of like, you know, connects us all that we all share or whatever that we can all sort of get on board and agree with. And I think, uh, especially, I guess, just the first three, but then I'm going, well, the, the, the ending of the first one, um, so back up a little more. And I think the anything that's supernatural in these films sort of helps to cement it in that that nightmare. This is beyond a movie reality. You know, this is beyond just a movie. This is its just own weird. Yeah, almost like you are watching a dream or something. It's place. So the supernatural does that because that's I think what was, you know, could have just been a whatever kind of idea. I think <laughs> I don't I don't look at them. You know, the the filmmakers of the original Friday the 13th, they don't get the same kind of credit, you know, as like a John Carpenter or Wes Craven or whatever. But I don't think that means they don't still somehow stumble upon sort of moments, inspired moments of genius or whatever that just sort of help these movies click in the end. But I think the original ending of the, sorry, the ending of the original one, the Jason kid popping out of the lake, the fact that it like doesn't, makes sense that you know he'd be alive that it sort of breaks rules that has a supernatural element like that's just it's so neat it's inexplicable in that way that you know i think that helps put it in this realm i'm talking about and that is my read for the ending of this one like it's a sort of beyond for me that literal interpretation necessarily of oh it's just a dream she had yada yada you know it's this Ooh, it's and it's cool. It works as a come full circle moment too. Um, but then also just the fact that Jason is immortal, and it seems like with each movie, the more stabs and hits and bullet shots he gets or whatever, he just keeps on keeps on trucking, keeps on marching along. And I think that, I mean, you could argue, you know, that same goes for uh, Michael Myers, but that's a big mm-hmm. part of what I'm talking about too. Of like, these are some sort of their iconographies are from for some kind of prime primeval primordial evil that has taken this form in our collective consciousness and i think that's for me if i really have to dig as deep as i can for like where the appeal of jason Voorhees lies i'd say that's it and some something about the simple formula in this one it just serves the that strength if you view it that way. It doesn't get at all this Tommy Jarvis like stuff. It's just, you know, just don't need this backstory. Cause that is all the more kind of like movie literal interpretation of a story, whatever, whatever. But yeah, for Can the, you can you explain what you mean with the Tommy Jarvis reference here? It's just it's the the what's his face, the um, um <laughs> <laughs> Corey Feldman character from the next one who whose character continues on in the next few but it's like it's it's putting a sort of more direct sense of continuity and then he gets some sort of like actual backstory with the character that sort of continues on so it's just sort of like basically what I'm getting at is it overlays a sort of more deliberate character story a more involved like personal story with Jason Voorhees versus just the like Oh, this is the person from the last movie who survived, and you yeah, know, that like a retcon sort of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah, I don't know. I forget the I, I forget the details it gets into of what it says about Jason's history, but it's different from these first three where it's just right. like okay, one ends, the next one begins. 
I have I have a I have a take on this, and this is what I think works in in the broader scope of of Friday the Thirteenth and Jason Voorhees as a character. In the first movie, it is a essentially a grieving mother for a wrong that was done onto her son, a kid who was bullied and basically died because of it. She's lost her mind because of that grief, and she's exacting revenge on anybody who reminds her of that. She's she's become obsessed with this notion and is possessed by you know the will to exact revenge when she is killed i feel like essentially this is my this is a editorializing but my take on it when she's killed it's essentially um it's like opening a curse right like she was kind of embodying this grief and revenge but once she's killed, it's almost like the magic is unleashed and now the curse is like set. And that magic is what allows the spirit that is Jason Voorhees to rise out of the lake and become an, it, his own entity. And that's to me like you can let go of any sort of logic you're trying to apply to like, oh, is he a kid? How did he get older? Any of that doesn't matter because he's not human. He is a spiritual cursed entity. And the reason that works to me is because it's still a curse. It's just a curse. It's like the mummy. Why is the the mummy comes back to life because, you know, of a curse. Um. It's it's magic. It's you know that that that's the driving force, or you know that or the 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 cause of this unstoppable force is because the curse was unlocked and let out. So to have Jason then be this entity, this unstoppable force that that is the core element of what makes him interesting as a character and a bad guy is that it's bigger than just like oh a guy with an axe or a machete or whatever who's who's mad <laughs> he's he's way beyond that it's like a mystical being that is you know been unleashed onto the world because of the wrongs done to him and and the people who grieved for him or person yeah and so that to me that's what makes it exciting because like who cares about like nitpicking the details of like who he is. It's very simple. He is the unstoppable force that was unleashed due to a wrong that was done onto him and his family. The end. <laughs> right. And I, I love that. And um, yeah, no, that, that that's great. And you putting it that way, it made me think like maybe the sort of a way you could bridge or link like our two sort of <laughs> grand theories, if you want to call them that on uh, his appeal on Jason's appeal. Like here, you just said he's, well, I, I guess I'd sort of, I sort of ask, well, what, you know, if I'm talking about, he's sort of an iconographic representation of some sort of like deep id level thing. And you're saying, you know, it's the force of 
um, what happens when a child's mother is killed, you know, being unleashed and given power via curse. It sort of makes me think like, well, what is the psychological underpinning that Jason represents like it's, it's purity. And it's sort of that feeling of like a child's innocent, immediate love for his mother. And what's just sort of the like, you know, um, unobstructive, violent centered, just instinct in its most pure distilled form that can come from that. And that, you know, is in his, all the, you know, all the great Jason, all the great people have played Jason that's in the performance of just like, since it's a non-speaking role, you see that childhood innocence almost as a big part of that uh, physical embodiment too. It's cool. Absolutely. In this one in particular, when we actually really do see his face. Yeah. Because we see it, a, I don't know, three or four times or something like that. And he does still sort of feel like a man child mm-hmm. when his mask is off. But you put the mask on and suddenly he's this other sort of thing. But like the mask off reveals this, this like, you know, he's, he seems vulnerable. Yeah. And like kind of childlike. You can see though. Yeah. What I'm saying, how it's like just even on an unspoken level or unconscious motivation on his part, you killed my mom. I'm killing you. That's my shark uh, instinct here. Well, right. And I think that if you distill that even just down to one one word, it, it's just grief, right? Like, what do we, like, how do we deal with grief? The first movie is about a mother's grief. The rest of the movies are about a son's grief. And just like having the humanity that we all should possess in, in our, you know, how we cope with grief, we we don't mostly tend to just go on a rampage but in this case this is this is the the one time that the the brain broke and he he's just a rampager yeah a grief rampager and i think that you know that's not a that's not an explanation of like that's not a logic explanation that's just a way to define the curse for me yeah Absolutely. It's a grief curse. I mean, I think that's really powerful. That's great. Um, well, anything more on, I guess, why his character works so well? Or do you have specifics for this one you'd want to get into? Um, <laughs> I mean, you could talk why the formula works so well, maybe. Because um, I think that's, I mean, God, that's this whole other thing about it. I mean, we've been talking about Jason, but I feel like the other big appeal and this is almost the one that's getting at our own how jason could be like a part of ourselves or whatever it's like it feels like it'll just be an everlasting appeal in watching young often pretty people or not so much pretty people but young archetypes getting killed off in the most immediate brutal ways like (laughs) that's all these movies sort of function to do so it's you sort of you sort of set, you know, we've set up what this character represents and is, but then you, you now we sort of take that a step further and picking apart, well, who is he actually killing? And it's most often, yeah, young archetypes. Yeah, I mean, I would say one, one more, just one more thing about this movie in particular and where Jason as a character is at. Um, He's 
in this one, he is just trying to survive. Right? Like he's not he's not maliciously going after them until they poke him. Mm. Uh like he's just hiding in a barn. That's it. Like he he in a way, in a way, it is sort of saying like the kids poke the bear by being these archetypes <laughs> by existing around him <laughs> right right like in in theory if he had found a cave in the middle of nowhere he would have just stayed there and nobody would have known any better well uh you know among among friends here it could be tricky territory but yeah what what do you think is that inherent like appeal for like the horror crowd of that exact formula of who he's killing yeah, I, I think this is now in in the world we currently live in. We we have m- more of a sense of like the almost inappropriate tropiness of this. Like at its core, I think what they were originally getting at is just this feeling that everybody has about the uh, uh, about feeling. Um, oh, what was the word? Brit used yesterday. It was such a good word. Um, diaspora. Is that the word? Diaspora? That is a word. Meaning you don't feel like you belong. Mm. And I and she said it and I was like, oh my God, I feel that all the time. Right? Like I, like wherever I am, I like often feel that way. Like go into a room of people and I'm like, yeah, this, this, these aren't my people. So I think at its really, really at its core and especially set off by the first movie, there is this sense of like you had this kid who didn't f- belong in a way or at least was sort of made to feel like he didn't belong. And, and the shittiness of kids took over and he ended up dying because of it. So you're saying it's the archetype to have an archetype to be an archetype means they inherently belong because they're knowable. They have a place almost amongst the crowd. Exactly. Right. Even if they don't actually by defining them as these archetypes, right? The jock, the nerd, the pretty girl, the, the slutty girl, whatever those dumb tropes are, by defining them as such, we then can identify or categorize them as something, and then we as get to understand. Yeah. We get to understand what it is to not be that. Yeah, right? to to feel this diaspora, and so at its core, I think that's kind of what these movies are based off of. They are allowing us, the audience, to cathartically experience. Uh, the demise of those categorical archetypes so that we can get cl- so that we can feel some relief at the the diaspora not existing anymore because if they're gone then we we nobody belongs <laughs> right and everyone will finally be accepted everyone who is everyone may finally be accepted in that world <laughs> right. I think that's sort of the core of these this setup and that's and it's you know it's kind of amazing that that's how the first movie plays out even though I it, I don't think it's pointing at it. 
You know what I mean? I think it just sort of is that. Right. And exactly. then they were like, well, that's working. Well, that's just exactly because it's like a simple setup. And when often things are simple, they're high concept. It means they hold that sort of that um, that more poignant or I don't know, sharper purpose you're sort of getting at. It's yeah. funny. I think that's so spot on, Tim. Like my, yeah, I, I really like that. My interpretation of just like, I think it maybe is just more, or the one that I had always thought of, maybe it's just more kind of applies to all kind of slashers of the era. But what you're saying was so great because that more specifically applies to this one. Um, you know, the archetypes. But uh, but it's some just, I don't know, just that as far as this, when you think, well, why young people getting killed off kind of in this, like by this unstoppable force, where is the appeal in that? And I don't know, I think, think it's, there's the, Something that, you know, youthful people embody this sort of idea of someone at their, I don't know, almost like at their physical prime or is almost sort of like the most disconnected from their own mortality that to then be so like instantly and viciously um, confronted with their own mortality by this unstoppable force literally killing them. There's a certain like certain like deep like catharsis in there or not like in just recognizing our own mortality by seeing like people who are supposed to represent just sort of a prime of life being killed off by uh, what is an inevitability that may not be so apparent to them. You follow yeah. that? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to correct myself a little bit because I think I'm using the word improperly um, of diaspora. It really means more like you're displaced. Um, and there's all sorts of etymological reference to it. But I, I think the point stands of this not feeling like you belong is sort of a component of being displaced, right? Like when, when you have to leave the place that you feel like you're from and go somewhere else, you know, you experience that feeling. So right. it's, it's sort of maybe not, maybe not using it quite properly, but... Hopefully the point gets across. <laughs> yeah, sense of not belonging. Well, no, it's great. What you're saying is more getting at why the appeal, why there's maybe an appeal of killing off archetypes. And then I was just trying to maybe just change the focus of the lens to, and then is there something a little different with why like young people, <laughs> you know? Well, definitely. I, yeah, I think that young, it works because it's young people or young people work because when you're young, you don't know where you belong. Mm. You're actively in the mode of seeking that out. Well, and everybody knows yeah. what it feels like to be like, oh, those people see over there seem to know who they are. Well, it's it's almost like a, there's a certain though like – optimistic worldview though that they i think they represent when you're if you're saying like you're they're people who haven't found their place yet the fact that they're, they're people who's not just for this one weekend but almost like overall their existence is just about having a good time together and i think <laughs> well, like that's yeah that's true i think that's something we all aspire to too, but have built a world that often serves just the opposite purpose 
it's it's like we've built a we've just built a cuckoo insane world that's doing exactly the opposite than we all want. Yet at the same time, we go on trying to almost justify it or ignore it or say that's just how it has that that is just how it is now. Whatever we have all our our different reactions to it, but I think you know maybe that's a sort of selfish catharsis of like defending that the way things currently are by getting a by getting enjoyment from watching these people who embody all that could be enjoying just for the sake of enjoyment. Their purpose is just for enjoyment before the responsibilities of the world, before these kids got to learn responsibility because the world isn't so nice. (laughs) Talk about such a, such a specifically American outlook, right? Like don't, don't let loose. Don't have a good time. Don't seek pleasure. (laughs) Like it's so puritanical, like what, you know, and so, whatever that's core to it because it does touch on a thing that exists in our culture but i i think you know it's (laughs) it's a double-edged sword it's like from one one side it's that's ridiculous right like but then the 80s and 70s and 80s were so full of that notion of like cautionary tale if you're a teenager don't do drugs or have sex because bad things will happen. And it's like, I think now watching that as a, that in and of itself as a trope is also part of the fun of these movies because it's so absurd. Yeah. Right. Like the, the notion that like the construct being, if you have a good time or do anything that's pleasure seeking, some unstoppable force is going to come murder you. Like, get out of here. Right. It's, so that's, that's fun because it's absurd. Right. But it's also, we though relate to it. We collectively relate to that frustration <laughs> of like, if I have to live this life this way, da, 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 you know, there's almost like, right. you want to. You, you, the, the, impli- the implicit irony of that all is just so fun, right? I mean, I think actually in a way that's, God, even more kind of meta way of looking at this. Um, and there must be movies that kind of flip this on its head, but we, God, how do I explain this? We, the viewer are watching kids, young people, uh, do a thing that adults, uh, uh, inappropriately are cautioning against and are also probably doing themselves the adults right and so you get into this almost like almost like a feedback loop of like the irony of it all that by (laughs) by doing a thing that uh, by doing a quote-unquote adult thing that other adults do as a young person you're unlocking the the curse (laughs) that's gonna get you like it's such a kind of cheesy ridiculous construct it's but bu- it is what we do, right? Like that's in a lot of ways how you frame, maybe not appropriately in this, in these cases, but like that is how you frame trying to keep kids from or, or trying to get kids to have a broader sense of like their own safety, you know, because you do have to teach a kid not to put its hand on the stove. They don't know. So like. Boogeyman stories are all about that. 
It's funny you mentioned uh, use the word meta. I thought maybe where you're going with this was like the act of watching these films as a kid felt like a sort of its own version of breaking that that puritanical whatever <laughs> idea. You that's, know, you're, you're doing something true, yeah. wrong. The act of watching these films was like the that similar to the acts of partying that they commit in these films. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what a big part of horror is opening the door to is to be like, look at how ridiculous our society is. Mm-hmm. You know, so that it has that too. I mean, there's a reason these movies are around still. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're really hitting on a bunch of things purposefully or not. Who cares? Like right. they, locked into a thing at the right time and it just extends outward from there great agreed well a sort of uh another maybe overall thing but different from uh the underpinnings we've been talking about here but overall thing that worked for me with this one and it's kind of like why the first three will always be great for me the next one i believe came out in 84 we've talked about before how it's like there's with the 80s, you know, there's a distinct feel that sort of progresses throughout where sort of 84 was when things started feeling more like quote unquote 80s, (laughs) you know, that Freddie kind of ushered in actually. So I love just something about just the, 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 the early 80s, but holding on to that 70s atmosphere and and mood that can only come from the era in which it was made so that's just something else i especially appreciate about this one too it's still just in that that sweet spot that 82 poltergeist whatever sweet spot uh 82 (laughs) yeah what a year (laughs) yeah i know you always speak fondly of that as like you when you say you like 80s movies you're kind of almost talking about 84 and earlier yep i definitely am you're right yeah. And I love the later ones because then they have the 80s appeal, but it's just a different kind of thing from uh from these earlier ones. Right, right. Um well, so should we um let's dig into some just moments here. You want to know my favorite moment of this whole movie? <laughs> um you sure. Can you guess it when I when I the moment where I go, "Oh," and I'm sure many people in the audience did too. I I mean I think it's maybe a toss up but I'm going to lean more toward I'm going to lean away from the harpoon to the eye <laughs> and more toward the machete down the crotch. <laughs> Both great guesses. I love those moments. Those are honorable <laughs> mentions for sure. My favorite moment though was and it's just the way the music stops. You know it's coming but it just is all so perfect because of that it's where after rick's killed and she's uh walking through the hall with the big open glass windows but next to her and rick's body gets thrown through the windows and just crashes through in front of her (laughs) it's just everything about that is just so fun and satisfying like just the sort of idea too you aren't thinking of it at the time but it's the idea of like jason's like timing it (laughs) and that he makes the choice at all to like throw the body up and into and through this window to scare her it's so good you know one thing that you this makes me think of that that i <laughs> for all of the the friday the 13th movies that i really appreciate is jason has such a specific sense of humor yeah 
In this, and like, yeah, you see it with this one when he takes off the mask for just for a sec to go, it's me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like he's a ham. He's hamming <laughs> it up all the time. Like the way, like he's hiding under hammocks. <laughs> right. He's stuffing, he's stuffing disemboweled dudes in the rafters. Like it's, he's ridiculously like humorous. Like just think about him like, He's like when you when you don't see him being looming and ominous and like being the scary guy, he's he's like creeping around corners and like setting up jokes. Wasn't there some kind like of like laughing to himself? Wasn't there some kind of like fan universe theory of trying to connect uh, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone to Jason Voorhees? <laughs> Probably. It's kind of yeah, you're right. It does kind of border on that, like uh, what the extent he'll go to to pull off a perfect kill. <laughs> God, that would be so funny to like make a like a little sketch of all the moments prior to the funniest kills. Mm. Like him like like giggling to himself right before he does a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, yeah, where though um yeah, my favorite moment wasn't necessarily a kill. It was a a a, a body was used for sure, but just something. He's just about, hamming it up. Yeah. He's just messing around. It's just all about He's the having moment. a laugh. So was uh, your favorite moments any of the kills themselves, the ones you just mentioned? I, I'm pretty partial to <laughs> I'm pretty partial to the to the machete down the crotch. First of all, the fact that we even have to set it up with a dude doing like a handstand and like walking <laughs> on his hands, like the, the conceit of that just cracks me up. It's right. so dumb. Well, it it. It works because of the payoff, though. <laughs> like, well, yeah. <laughs> but you, you, it's so obviously reverse engineered. They're like, what's the gnarliest way we could like chop somebody up? And they're like, well, down the crotch would be bad. And they're like, yeah, but how do you do that? What are you going to upswing him up the crotch? And they're like, no, man. He's just a hands, he's the handstand guy. <laughs> yeah. There's always a handstand guy. <laughs> I was the handstand guy as a kid. There you go. I was always doing handstands and walking around on my hands like an idiot. Maybe that's why I like that kill so much because I, I'm like, damn it, I yep. would have been, I wouldn't have made it out. <laughs> the handstand guy. I would have gotten grundle sliced. You got to wonder if we had been privileged to see uh, the 3D screening of this. Would just the eyeball coming out be our favorite moment? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the kills are great. Like, I don't know how to really say w- what would have sealed it for me one over the other. Yeah, I liked the pitchfork through the stomach a lot. There's another. That's, I like when he reaches back to feel that it's gone through him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Which I think you would do, right? <laughs> like, would you yeah. be like, oh, my God. that I'm impaled. It was... Uh, <laughs> pretty intense at the end you feel like it was just when he's um when that guy who's hiding out in like the barn the whole time comes back yeah. to like try to save the day but gets his arm chopped off and jason yeah. the way jason just like goes to town on him though it's like i'm sure it's just an excuse to give her the minute to like take the axe slowly and then get ready to hit Jason with it like right. happens. But he's really, uh, it's pretty brutal. He's really chopping up that guy. Elite. I would argue that he goes so, so over the top there because he's mad at himself 
for not having finished the job the first time. Yeah. Like that's a real failure as as a unstoppable murdering force. <laughs> right. That you you screwed that one up. He's going just die. <laughs> yeah. He's he's uh the 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 dude he's doing that to is jasoning him. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting J- Jason's getting jasoned <laughs> right. by this biker dude. <laughs> the biker dude um it's actually kind of a smart um reversal of the like you know you think the killer's dead but he comes back to life thing it's it's they are actually playing around with that yeah whether intentional or not right doesn't right. matter <laughs> who knows <laughs> uh i gotta give you know with a uh, i keep praising this one for just being simple formula executing that through and through i think a part of that uh, whether it stems from that or just works so well alongside of it, I don't know. But the pacing is like spot on for what you'd want these for these movies, where it's like there's a clear, like almost halfway demarcation point where the first half is the has a certain pacing to it. Um, is introducing the character still these fake scares and then these sort of like side group kills that are happening. Uh, but right at that like halfway point, pretty much when um, Shelley does that final joke right before he dies, and then with the murder of um, uh, Vera, uh, who gets the the, the harpoon. harpoon through the eye, <laughs> like from that whole like that whole area where those things happen, we're just we're just cruising from that point on, and it's just I mean that is it, like right, like yeah. he puts the mask on at that point, and then we're off to the races. Ugh, exactly, and how good is it that's with him putting the mask on too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, I was well, going to say something really astute. What was it? <laughs> Who knows? Something about the pacing I was saying, the first half and the Probably. second half. Who knows? I'll think of it. All right. Well, another Carry on. overall thing, uh, pin, uh, 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 what marks and defines these movies or uh, you, you, you I had thought a of thought. It. I thought of it. Okay. You said um, stems, like you said, something stems from or what it stems from. And it immediately made me think of the scene in early on when they're the cops you know, show up behind them and they're all smoking weed and they all eat the weed. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what <laughs> the rationale of that is just <laughs> hilariously weird to me that that's what you would try to do. I mean, I guess I get it. Well, but. Tim, uh, I guess you've never been in that situation if you're stoned and then something like that happens. <laughs> okay. And someone gets the idea to do something like that. It can all of a sudden sound like a just, oh my God, it's what you got to, you know, you're just, yeah, you're all just going. <laughs> I loved that. That was so funny. That was, that was yeah, great. I mean, this, this the movie's not lacking humor. I mean, it, it's, it actually does a good job of not being too dumb humory well that actually segues to what i was just gonna set up which is the other thing to sort of point out call out if it was working for us was our cast of characters for this one because that's always Mm -hmm. a defining feature of each of these films yes everybody is everybody is pretty spot on let me i'm trying to think if anybody like rick right uh chris's whatever he is guy friend is the worst like he's 
the worst human being ever. But so perfectly like, the worst. Exactly. So that's I think that is a essential element to any Friday the 13th movie. You have to have this guy who you just despise. Like the guy in the remake who's the main douchey boyfriend guy. Yeah, just yeah. Like, he's so that guy. The I love bl- it. The blonde guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to have that because that's part of the catharsis. I mean, that really is the core of kind of what we were saying earlier. It's like everybody's been bullied by that one guy who's just the worst. Now, does that guy deserve to die in real life? Absolutely not. He probably has a really <laughs> messed up home life. Just, just, and there's, to, be, and, just to clarify. That. Just to clarify. There's a reason that he's so mean to everybody. He's not just like inherently a jerk. He's a he doesn't jerk. inherently deserve to die (laughs) right like there's a reason he's the way he is and it's probably fairly tragic but on its surface but in a world of archetypes that doesn't matter because they're just archetypes that's right that's right so that's really that's really a key element to these stories so like having that um is important so He's the uh, Rick in this case is the most well defined like catharsis like we we love to hate him so to speak. I think on the flip side, Shelley, the the nerdy guy who's I mean I hate to say it but he's such an incel kind of character this 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 like oh nobody's ever gonna love me. It's like hey man, just stop being an idiot and like just be like just be a nice dude and you'll be fine. <laughs> Which like, he like. Maybe. he doubles down like three times on like scaring people and it's just like they're like hey man can you stop doing that it's like really not cool <laughs> yeah he keeps doing it <laughs> so like when he gets killed and then they think he's still joking around it's very like uh you know uh the boy who cried wolf that we like that right it's because um, we go, oh, well, see, this is what happens. Don't be such a, a little whatever. I mean, I just wanted to shout him out as far as like in how he exists amongst the fandom. He's both like the most loved and most hated character. <laughs> like, yeah, he's one of them. That. So just the fact that he's that for me, it's uh, um, distinct and memorable in that sense. And you're just getting mad at him. Actually, I'll just jump ahead a, a thing of note since we're on Shelly. Something I had for the thing of note, the one moment I remembered from when I saw it with a crowd was um, it's like right after the one of the fat, last pranks he does to Vera, really <laughs> not helping his chances here with his pranks, like he said. But, um, you know, she's pissed at him and walks away. And it's like we're kind of like at least, you know, even if we're mad at him, at least could sympathize with a little bit. Like he's not a total jerk. But then like in that moment, which he walks away, he just like mutters to himself, like almost away from camera. He goes like, bitch, like that. Yes. And I just remember just like the audience, just like, just yelling and almost like betrayal or something. It was so funny. Everyone was like, whoa, hey. <laughs> like when he, he said well, bitch like that. He is the, he is the, guy he's kind of the trope of the character trope that you want to root for you know he's a little like a lost cause he's getting in his own way but you want him to like pull it together find like find a little bit of like self-love yeah stop the stand up and say actually no i i I want to tell you that i like you and i'm sorry i'm being such a dork about it because i'm nervous and i have anxiety like 
that would we we would feel catharsis if if that he got that you know going for him but he just goes full on in the other direction of just like the worst but that's important for this movie right yeah because if 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 he became completely endearing to us and then got killed it would not fit into this movie right well that's also maybe why he's a memorable one out of like all this whole franchise is because of that um you just have these little silly character stories going on that are often just about like what are the pairings what are their archetypes and this is that one where it's just like there's such a clear like you know stunted progression to a would be Mm. or could be that you know that happens with i guess the his character types it's um (laughs) yeah i don't know it's just this was no no i'll save that actually for things of note never mind um, so the other characters, let's see the, the, the burner stoner characters, they're just fun. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. You know. The first appearance when they're like in the back of the van smoking and then yeah. later on, what's yeah, his like name? The, uh, the van's on fire. Chuck Garth is the main, like, um, uh, Tommy Chong looking dude. <laughs> right, right, right. It's so funny. And just like, this was just such a moment of like, he is a movie stoner where what does he say when he's when he's in the outhouse and takes like a hit he says something like oh good shit or you know dank or far you know he he says some like acknowledgement yeah. after he takes a hit like i don't know any stoners who like <laughs> sit there and like smoke thing and just go like yeah <laughs> you know just like <laughs> to that that particular like they're so surprised by a new strain or something anyway but this yeah the fact that he's there hot boxing an out box is just that was awesome <laughs> i love That's that pretty funny yeah it's <laughs> what you do um we talked about handstand guy i think the least sort of strong character is handstand guy's girlfriend she's just chilly no debbie and andy okay so so andy's handstand guy Debbie is apparently pregnant, according to uh, Wikipedia. In keeping track of them, for me, Debbie was the one. They're all like brunettes, but Debbie has the little, um, uh, what's it called, braid in the front of her hair. I don't know. I don't remember. She's (laughs) the one who takes a shower. Yeah, exactly. She gets it in the hammock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Like, she's just, I don't know. There's, I I don't know what her archetype is. girlfriend yeah i don't know i can't help you out there um i don't know i think i just even if they maybe yeah you could put it in the what didn't work they weren't at a certain point all the women weren't like clear archetypes uh yeah that's true but i just liked the actors playing them so i was just on board yeah you know even though there's a lot of criticism that the filmmakers in this one were kind of more focused on the 3d element and like not really caring about performance so much and, and apparently not really casting so much for performance or acting, but just for the look. I still think everybody did a pretty damn good job of being the thing that they were cast as. Like I, I'm not saying that the acting is, you know, (laughs) like Academy (laughs) award winning stuff, but it's, it seems perfectly passable for what this is so yeah. i don't know they did their job for sure um no they just think it was their it sounds like i listened to um the commentary 
with some of the actors on it. And uh, you just get the sense that they were just kind of all good understanding people and had fun together. Very different from the first one. I'm sure they were all getting along, but the set of the first one was apparently just like one crazy party. Uh, oh, really? But but this, <laughs> yeah, but this one here, I don't know. And it sort of came through where, yeah, everyone seemed cordial and getting along and just like good people. And uh, I don't know that I guess that just helps illustrate that they're all just like fun to fun to be on this ride with and watch get killed off and just be that little sad for them when they each get killed off too. Cause you, you do want that. There's the catharsis in them getting killed off, but then there's also like, uh, Oh, but maybe I wanted to see what would have happened to you or, or you're nice or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Great. Um, uh, great. Very cabiny cabin. I got to say, that spiral oh, yeah. staircase going up and down, just all the little cabiny trinkets around. Uh, yeah, it's something that's fun where it's not, you know, mixes <laughs> mixes it up ever so slightly. Within the formula of all these movies, it can get mixed up where it's either the camp or random cabin. So this one, it embraced the ra- the random cabin well. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed the even though this was not um, an East Coast, actual East Coast set like the first two. I, I appreciated the the set decoration and build or whatever you want to call it. It felt, it felt woodsy and campy. Yeah. Uh, we, I think we mentioned it briefly, but it's more just like an obvious given how good the soundtrack is. And how much it pulls out that uh, the air yeah. and atmosphere of whatever Jason represents we were getting at. Of course. And it's all pretty much been that same guy, the composer, through them all. Um, God, I don't know. Oh, Harry name. Manfredini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also shout out to this one specifically, those rockin' opening credits music. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I well, love they had that. To, they had to up the ante. It is 3D. Yeah, and that's the way. I mean, I, this is really fun. I'm sure if you see it in 3D, the way the credits are like flying out. I <laughs> right. mean, just that. I mean, just knowing this is 3D, it does. I think you kind of mentioned this, but it is kind of fun, even not watching it in 3D, just to like recognize the gimmicks throughout. Whether Dude. it's like the yo-yo coming right at the screen, and like the every rack single focus time something is done, <laughs> yeah. I was like. Ooh, 3D. <laughs> they're both, they're juggling next to each other and it cuts to like the top point of view. So the balls are coming yeah. at us that we have a snake fly out at us at the beginning. Like there's a lot of the end of handles, whether it's an ax handle or the um, pitchfork handle or like whatever that like sweep into frame. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. So the 3D aspects, even when not in 3D, um, still work. Uh, I actually just remembered another thing I wanted to say that what worked and is so key for these films too is I think when we have these uh, almost like want to describe them as like side quests, these side kills of the sort of almost like separate supporting characters. So in this one, it's the couple who are like watching TV and kind of like the bickering couple and oh, has yeah, like the, the store owners yeah the store owners and then we also have the the kind of like biker gang crew who does get more directly involved with our main crew but when you have those these these side characters side kills or whatever they 
they do exactly what you want with them to kind of make it the sequences because they are kind of longer sequences with them, but to make them a little interesting or memorable. And I think that's just sort of like in giving them enough like quirky details or whatnot. Like the fact that they own this little store and he has rabbits and one of them is just like in the produce that he has to grab. And like he loves the rabbit. The wife clearly hates the rabbit. Uh, I don't know, just 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 all the little touches that make them them are just make it fun and i think that's important i agree i think that this is actually a um this is a good device for film for horror filmmakers to use and it cuz it does a couple things one it sets up your tone just your general tone um which is important so you can kind of lean into the space between moments and like the character of the film, not just of these individual characters, but like the the tonality and the just the vibe. And, you know, when you use it as kind of an opening, it also primes you as an audience member for the pacing of the, the movie. And psychologically, it primes you for a, a well, for a primal thing which is these are just people existing in the world they didn't do anything to deserve the you know what they get right and that underpinning to set you up as an audience member to just get that feeling of like oh we're all just one you know crazy serial killer away from death and we could just be doing our thing we could just be having a day at the shop with our bickering wife that right. is it's totally not- <laughs> justified in her bickering because you're a slob or whatever, right? Like that, those are just normal human beings living their lives and they get killed for what? So Jason can have like a, a shirt. And I think that psychologically, when you set a movie up like that, you go, Oh, okay, we're in danger, right? Like yeah. everybody's in danger. You feel that on a primal level and you get ready for the rest of the ride when we then get to meet the people who we're going to be with for the rest of the movie. And I, I just think it's a good way to set up a scary, especially a slasher film. But any any movie can have that. Well, I thought this one, yeah, as, as part of all that, this one I think it was so fun and sort of embodies the, the setup, all that included. It embodies like something that just doesn't feel like it can work anymore nowadays or it has to be set in an older you know pre-internet cell phone era or whatever but just like the way we it just all feels right and we buy into the fact that we can have the succession of murders because they don't you know of course these kids who are already have their tripped plan and are hitting the road if they don't happen to turn on the news station they're gonna have no idea so it just kind right, of right. <laughs> works in that setup. But then alongside them showing up, we have what I thought was actually surprisingly like well-written, realistic, and did a good job um, newscast of that, you know, the the woman in the couple is watching at the beginning. Just lays out uh, exactly how it would sound in real life of not, not mincing words with how brutal the murders were and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, the fun segue of getting that exact newscast into the murder at large is the murder right outside her window yeah uh, yeah, exactly but yeah i don't know all that just felt so of a different place in time i kind of just 
appreciated it in a new way watching it this time as yeah. set up. Yeah, and and what I'm sort of referring to in general, we you know, TV does it a lot. It's it's called a cold open, right? Like lots of film does it, but t- it's known now as a pretty standard thing in in particular in procedural TV because you got to know like you got to quickly and concisely set up the world and and like what the stakes are and you know in procedurals it's a crime usually so or a uh if it's a doctor or hospital procedural it's it's an illness right so you set it up and you go oh here's here's what can happen to anybody in this world right now so that you know the threat for the people you care about in the episode right and i guess that's just such a a dis, uh, that's just such a key or uh, it's just such a part of the formula for these films is exactly. the, the non main group kills that are happening in that first half to sort of the, <laughs> right. the, the impending doom threat um, all that great soundtrack that was great all that stuff I think we mentioned most everything I had yeah me too um I think the only other thing I didn't really specifically say is that I, I do quite like the the main character. Um, what's that act? What's the actor's name? Uh, do, 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 do. So it's Dana Kimmel as Chris Higgins. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought she was good. I, I I enjoyed following her along. I love Ginny in the first two. So mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like sad that she wasn't able to reprise this. Um, but I, I thought that this actor did a great job too. Yeah, she was fun. And I liked her at the end where she's, she has those moments where she's not just running away. But like, I love that moment when she uh, hides next to the door with the log pile and picks up the log and hits him over the head as he comes out. <laughs> like the fa- fact that she takes a sec to do that so much fun that was a good fun setup payoff moment too of like the 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 bullies or whoever come in and siphoning the gas out so of course we know that's gonna have come back later on but right also when it's done well of course we kind of forget about it when it happens <laughs> okay perfect time yep um i liked to uh just the moment where after she hangs him and he's still alive like no doubt about it there's just something fun as a visual of where he's like still hung but is just then alive and swinging and and getting at her that was that was great sort of gets at oh man he is sort of yeah starting to sow the seeds of his supernatural unstoppable self yep oh yeah cool All, all great could keep going whatever with details but i think that says it so with that we can see if we had anything for our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, for me, the, the, the emphasis on these 3D things... <laughs> Like they're funny and and kitschy and whatever, but like I just found it annoying. I was just like, all right, like 
there's a couple that I think are cool and fun. The harpoon in particular. Right. But I feel like you're this that's fair for if you're talking about Friday the 13th part three but if you're talking about Friday the 13th part three 3d and you're you <laughs> saw this in theaters in 3d like the 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 gimmicky like ridiculous like all the instances of it are just gonna gel so well with just everything else about this movie and the sort right. of audience moments like it does make me wonder if like you're seeing this in the theater in 1982 with 3d glasses on like how how mind blown are you every time a broom handle flies out of the screen or whatever (laughs) like these all the all the ones that are have nothing to do with anything (laughs) right the yo-yo the 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 broom or what is it it's a baseball bat i think at one point because the kids are playing in the street oh it's great haven't you ever have you seen a 3d movie that's like meant to be not not one that's like kitschy i've seen like tron okay you know, like the the tron movie tron legacy well then two i guess you could say they're they're kitschy or kitschy light or in that same ballpark that are just some of my favorite um well one of my fa- was my one of my favorite movie going experiences ever was seeing Jackass 3D at the Arclight in a packed house. Oh my god. And that I mean just any time, you know they totally mess with the gimmick and it's stupid and it's it's great and just it's funny. You know, it's 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 that's the spirit of it. And that the other one I remember was Harold and Kumar 3D, which is another <laughs> oh one where god. it's just all about like yes, we know it's stupid and that's the point. It's like another uh it's a whole nother dimension that they can do their brand of stupid on you know and then uh, a bit more like serious in tone but still done like really well i remember seeing Coraline 3d and that was just like oh god i remember like some of the sewing shots with the needles coming out where it just looked really really impressive and then god i wish for the life of me i could remember if i didn't see i did it was 3d when i saw this or not i just can't remember but anyway, I would just be curious if you had seen this in 3D in theaters, you would be more forgiving. Maybe. Maybe it would have been more like enjoyment of the ride, but like not having the 3D glasses. It's just me as a filmmaker being like, I see what you're trying to do here and that's it looks dorky. Well, this version uh, actually has the 3D version on it. So get some glasses and set up your new projector or whatever and okay. you check in you check in down the line with us. Uh great. Um okay, so what else didn't work? Let's see. Um God, it's one of those ones where the things that didn't work for me were emotionally effective. So it's like they did work because I was mad at them <laughs> from a story point of view. Well, like, I hate Rick so much. Right. Like every line of That's... his, I'm like, I hate you. And so like, I guess it's, it works, but I, it, I didn't, I was mad about it. Yeah. Come on. So I don't you know don't, how to categorize You don't want to be one of those people who says that a movie's bad because they didn't like the characters in it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a movie's bad because I didn't like the character that is specifically written for me not to like. (laughs) Uh, No, but some people are that way where even if it's like all the main characters are deliberately unlikable people, they're just, why would you want to watch that? 
I you know what I didn't like? And this is just a result of it being a rewrite f- for them not getting um, Jenny back is just the shoehorning of of Chris's backstory of like two years ago, I was attacked randomly by this guy in the woods, but I got away and now I'm back. It's like, it just is so kind of, it's just shoehorned in. I don't know. I just think it's, it, it didn't work. I didn't like the way it was sort of presented. No, I agree. It's like a f- flashback overlay thing. I just, it's like, what what are we doing? I think uh, I, I didn't put it down just cause like, I don't feel too strongly about it, but I agree just if it wasn't there, it would just, you, yeah, you just don't need it. Just don't need it. It doesn't make her character arc any better no i mean yeah you're getting <laughs> you don't have to excuse why someone would be so afraid of jason Voorhees. you know <laughs> like <laughs> all they i mean they, what they could have just said is like oh yeah camp crystal lake is known for remember that year that all those people died and then it happened again that was really terrifying right. and i don't really know if i want to go back there right now she could just be the one person who's just concerned about the area's history right that's all you need i mean you could do all sorts of of ways to kind of connect her even just emotionally to all of that or the fear of all of that i mean i'm kind of a big i i don't love when they try to sew every like character plot to like a deeper meaning of, of of like um well what am i trying to say i don't like it when they take a character and 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 make it all about like how i don't know how to describe this what's a good example of this um like if you were going to say oh well she was jenny's cousin it's like come on like it can't all be fated to happen because of the like the family lineage or something you know what i mean it's like i i don't love that stuff but you can metaphorically connect it right like she could be the victim of some some type of trauma that is relatable to what happened at crystal lake and then having that having jason show up would just magnify that trauma and that'd be enough to me like i'd be like oh this is <laughs> this is really unfortunate for her like right she's having to deal she's having to revivify this past experience with a new one that's relatable it's funny like um i agree yeah didn't work or just yeah definitely be better without it or just change that way for all those reasons uh I don't want to say I'm not this isn't an argument for though like a way that it can work but it's just kind of fun to have stuff like that in these films because I feel like it serves as a reminder for all the moments that do just seem really uh inspired or work great that they were very much just moments of inspiration that just happened to like work really really i don't know that sounds like such a knock on the filmmakers i guess maybe it kind of is that they like are on this level where they still let this stuff flow. i don't know it just it just highlights where for me it's a cool thing because it highlights where beautiful serendipity does happen like we'll get into things of note where the mask came from how that's all right, just right. 
you know, a meant to be kind of story. So I guess in the context, things like this, they don't hamper my enjoyment too, too much just because I don't know. I just, I just always see the, the bigger context, but yes, it's a film by film level. I completely agree that that did not work. Do you want to hear um, what else I had? Yeah. Uh, this was very slight, but it, as far as this, a sort of slight weighting shift, I would have liked not W A I T, but like how much something weighs, um, that in that first half where we have the sort of two uh or that that maybe it's just more of that no it's the two sequences of like our side groups here the couple and then the 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 bikers whoever um is great i love having those but i just like if you could cut those down by like 20% and give like 20 25% more to the the kids I I would have appreciated that that shift just because like maybe it maybe this is why but whenever the kids are on I just I it's just always so much fun like there is to get caught up in their little stupid stories is part of the appeal for me and like oh you know who are the people who are uh, hooking up who might hook up and then like what are the stupid little party games they play and then like the hangout atmosphere of them getting stoned and getting to know their surroundings talking about the past like all that stuff I genuinely enjoy always the first half before our main guys start getting killed off so just uh, in this one, I wouldn't mind if it was weighted just a little, little bit more with more with the main folk, a little less with the side folk. That's fair. Yeah, not yeah, a that, huge that one. That sequence but... with the bikers goes on and on for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. Anyways, I'm like we're and dedicating then... a lot of time to these three characters that we know are gonna die. Right. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the only other thing I had. And this is almost like not not fair on the movie, but it's just kind of like a larger problem. It's kind of really hard to to parse or say. But there are, we know these films in this film in particular too, were subject to trimming and cutting and censoring the violence. So like when I was, you know, had the commentary on uh, this morning and they mentioned, you know, the chuck character the hippie guy his he gets electrocuted it is his death and the one of the actors goes oh yeah i remember this scene originally a sequence with all this crazy stuff of like his face melting and getting fried or you know is this more gruesome and extensive and i think that's how it is throughout with the other killings too so there's the part of me that's like just wants to naturally assume oh it would be so much better with that stuff I don't know if that's the case, so that's where I catch myself. Um, but if there was a way to know, if there was a more definitive version in the filmmaker's mind, filmmaker's mind, um, and the, the fact that it can't be that or we don't have that, uh, I guess, <laughs> makes me sad or didn't work for the purposes of this section. But uh, yeah, no, no, just that, just kind of like, Man, why, why, whoever, whoever made them do that, maybe there was a more definitive version that could just kind of make, you know, all the, all the kills that much more memorable and fun. Right. Um, well, my last thing is just to kind of wrap back all the way around to how we started in talking about the canoe ending. Um, the moment she got into the canoe, 
I was like, why are we redoing this? <laughs> yeah. Why is she even doing that at all? It just looks like a good place to take a nap. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, if this is a rewrite and they're, they're holding on to some of the elements from the original script, I'm even more disappointed in them making this choice. Like, can you imagine Ginny getting back into a canoe at the end of this? <laughs> like, no way would her character do that. So I was like, it doesn't work in either realm. Uh, so I just didn't like it. And then the confusion, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence about having Mama Voorhees come out of the water. Like, I like it because it's funny and cool and like a, you know, a, a, a switcheroo. But does it make sense? Not really. Like, even in the dream realm, does it make sense? Not really. That's like, I mean, it almost <laughs> feels like fan service in a weird way. Like, it's weird. I don't know. I mean, I was going to say up till fan service those are all reasons why I loved it. But the, it doesn't feel fan... I don't know. It felt just like, uh, as, I, as I said, just one of the random kind of just inspired moments that makes it actually kind of wrap up as a trilogy in a nice well, that way, I agree too. With. Everything about it made me go, oh, that's cool, until I thought about it for a half a second. But that's why you don't think about it. <laughs> that's all I do. All I do is think but about I, it. But I get, though... I, I'll 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 tip my hat though as far as just the getting in the canoe at all and how that could be handled a little more uh like it's justified. Same but different, right? Like that's the rule. Yeah. <laughs> and Great. this was close it was sort of the same but different, but I think they could have been a little differenter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's all I got. All right. Well, then with that, we can move on to our last big section here. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. I have one. The guy who played Shelley, the the casting director's... Uh, just saw him walking down the sidewalk outside of their office. He was not an actor. They just were like, oh, that's that guy's Shelly. He apparently was handing out flyers for the Road Warrior. <laughs> Amazing. Well, like, like that, that, those stories, I'm always like, what? I, uh, that stuff happens. I have a lot more tidbits, but I was hoping to start with, uh, Maybe we could end with it instead, but talk about we were going to follow back up with any of its part three-ness. Oh, God, yeah. Do you want to touch on that a bit more? Oh, well, what else can I say? I, I, I think that I didn't already say. I do still feel like it. it this one solidifies the, 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 what do you call it? the conceit of the franchise. The first two have it, but this one to me is like, okay, now we're going to go full on into this is what, this is what these movies need to be. Yes. I'm cool with that too. In fact, so much that I think that is why, I don't know. That's why this one will hold a special place for me in a way. And I think the, the other third ones do in their own way. It's when when him getting his hockey mask is like the perfect 
metaphor for it all. It's like, yeah, maybe there's, you know, something more. There's always maybe the, the atmosphere is always kind of what the earlier ones seem to hold that the later ones don't. But as far as just like, yes, honing the formula, I feel like this is the one for that. And I think a big part of that is that it is the third one where they're kind yeah. of forced to do that. Cool. I feel like there's more. I don't know. I just feel like it's other interesting stuff about it being a part three, but maybe that does just kind of sum it up what you just said. Yeah. I mean, for this one in particular, you know, it's interesting to try to try to look at it as which we already mentioned, like at when it comes out, it is just a trilogy. You know, it exists before <laughs> inherently before new ones come out. So oh, it's interesting right. to look from that lens of when they're making it of not just being like, okay, this is part of a bigger franchise, but here now we're doing the third one. How do we go all out for the third big one? <laughs> it's fun. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think that, that that's right. The, the, the idea that they're like, they're not going into the third one saying, okay, this is make it, make it or break it time for us to get a franchise and continue on. They're just trying to make a good third movie. Yeah. And they, you know, they did a bunch of stuff that was hit or miss in a lot of ways. But what it coalesced to was enough, enough people saw it and liked it to warrant more. Yeah. So, you know, you got to give credit where it's due on in, in that realm, too. It's like this movie allowed them to turn it into a franchise for real. Yeah. Absolutely. That's again when he got his hockey mask. It's what's why it's a good metaphor for it. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> the hockey mask. Yeah, yeah. Well. Well. Real quick, I just want to say uh, I think I keep having this urge to like say more on what a part three means, but I think that's exactly why we're doing uh, three more part threes. So <laughs> I think it'll be a continuing conversation. Yeah. Yes. The mask. Uh, the story of how it was found was they were doing, well, they knew that they wanted to obscure Jason's face for the most part. And so they were doing a lighting check and the film's 3D effects supervisor, Martin Sadoff, who's a hockey fan, supplied, just pulled out from his bag of hockey gear, a Detroit Red Wings goaltender mask. And then the director liked how that looked, so then they made the actual one sort of around that idea pretty amazing because like once you see it you go of course that <laughs> makes so much sense yeah because it's skull-esque well it's incredible too how when i see a hockey mask i think more of jason Voorhees than i do of hockey <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's like it was just so meant to be yeah i mean that's all <laughs> that you were meant yeah. when you said mention the mask that's right cool. Um, that it happened on set, kind of. Yeah, the uh, a couple things from the commentary is fun. The the performer, the actor who played Jason in this one, he was uh, in the circus for eighteen years already before this as a trapeze art- artist. So it explains his wow. phys- physicality, and he's British too. But he sort of joked that in um, in the audition, you know, he sort of walked in. There were still a couple big old, you know, stunt looking guys in the room too but uh he kind of got it on the on his read or on his meeting with the director 
and he just kind of was joking, but thought that was because it was it was his British accent. Like he automatically sounded just a bit more like you know, like he was a good a good hire or something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like Fair. he's a British actor, so he's getting something more out of right. it. Right. Well. Um, and then it was funny too that same actor. He said, um, uh, he said to Steve Miner, the director, you know, he kept kind of, I think he said more seriously early on. He's like, well, is there any moment I can, you know, show my actual face so I could, you know, impress my mom? See, I played Jason in this movie. I played the monster. And Steve actually, like Steve Miner, this sort of speaks to his character, nice guy. He like took that really seriously and wished so bad, you know, he could actually give it, give him that, but couldn't actually so the next day apparently he had had a shirt made for um for him that says like i played the monster in friday the 13th part three just as like a gift to show his mom to prove to his mom he played <laughs> the part <laughs> great that was funny and speaking of steve Miner, the director he played the tv anchor at the beginning did a great oh, job okay as that um other fun little shout outs i i was noticing I'm sure you you noticed yourself and could imagine me noticing the different band stickers on the van, their featured van on the back. I think we have a Motley Crue one and uh, we have um, uh, the boss. And then inside we have the, the doors one on the passenger seat and then on the driver's seat. This is our second Grateful Dead reference. There's a Grateful Dead sticker in that one. And um I just like to, you know, track those <laughs> Grateful Dead references in the films that we've watched. Uh, the other one was, what was it? It was that long titled one that was the eerie ghost story with the woman with the different eras. Is it I am the, pr- uh, uh, I am the pretty am the thing pretty that, lives, thing in that lives in the house? Yeah, she's wearing a Grateful <laughs> Dead shirt in that. And also, yeah. something I wanted to start keeping tabs on. Uh, that's fun for just me and um, a certain group of friends is anytime there's Olympia beer in a movie, gotta start shouting that that out (laughs) (laughs) just cause it was always um, the cabin beer for me and uh, my cabin group of friends. That's funny because Bigfoot Lodge, this bar down the street from me, which is a cabin themed bar. They sell Olympia for like $2 in, in the can. Let me know if they still do because they've stopped making Olympia beer, which is even more why oh, wow. I want to keep track of it now. But it's something you see in a lot of 70s, 80s movies. And there is not, and so you see that um, the the bully at the convenience store, he comes out drinking it and then it cuts to, there's a truck that's an Olympia yeah. beer truck that's just like <laughs> in the whole scene. But apparently now they're just only making uh, vodka. So hmm. hopefully we'll see their glorious mm-hmm. return someday. Another fun little shout out. There's a Fangoria magazine with a Godzilla article she's reading right before she gets killed. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was cool. Um, What else? Oh, talking about Shelly. We talked about him a lot, but just one little last fun anecdote. There is a Friday the 13th, The Game. Always wanted to play it. It's great. It's like a multiplayer game where you're always cycling through. You have one person as Jason and one person as the counselors. It sounds like a lot of fun, actually. But they released Shelly as a playable character uh, in 2017. And Larry Zerner, who played Shelly, reprised his role, voicing Shelly again. (laughs) It just just really cracks me up. It's funny. That is funny. 
Uh, do you, do you have anything else? Things of note? I mean, no, not really. It made money. So, you know, what are you going to do? It's 3d just panned by the critics. Uh, just a couple like funny places. I thought my mind was going when watching this, (laughs) whether they're worth sharing, you tell me, but, uh, just imagine, like, you know, the way you get caught up in their stupid little stories when watching them. I just, like, stop myself, like, thinking, could you imagine, though, Ryan, like, what this would be if there were no killings, actually? Like, can you just imagine this movie that's, like, actually where it's just, like, this is the story of, like, these group of friends getting together and just, oh like, these God. little character dramas playing out? <laughs> like... I don't know, but they say that's the test of a good movie is you want to be caught up in the story before Mm -hmm. the inciting incident, the thing that makes it the movie happens. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Can you imagine it? Just being like, this is a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've lived it, so I don't need to imagine it. Yeah, that's why, I don't know. And the appeal would be kind of watching it on this weird like soap opera just kind of level. I don't know. It's funny. Um, another thought I had I wanted to know what you think of just when I was just checking up on like the old reviews for this and stuff and it's kind of like always the reviews this series gets is they just will say stuff like it's just the same tired formula da 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 like and for me I'm like well that's What are you expecting? Like, it just makes me wonder if the critics, if there's any potential for the critics to like these films at all. Like, is it just that, is there an actual version of these films that they like? Like, what is going on in their heads, do you think? No, I don't think critics should even bother reviewing these movies. Like, because they're coming from, they're always going to come from the wrong angle but i mean i'm sure you have like work you could say we're critics right now heaping praise on it well but i mean i mean sort of the like hoity-toity like new york times critic or the you know like like these these people who are specifically making a career out of film critic like publications they like it seems almost like a part of the job to just trash films like this yeah it just makes me and it's like well then what's the point don't even bother like it's just interesting and makes me appreciate like the elvira's and the joe bobs and anyone else who is also just sort of into film criticism and wrote about it at the time but like because they were a fan they could and just because they're also smart and articulate could articulate exactly yep. like <laughs> accurately why these films are valid and hold appeal at least and it's just, I don't know, it's just funny to me, like, when they say stuff like that, the negative stuff, I'm just like, well, what, what do you want? Like, what? <laughs> well, I think it becomes a, a exercise of, like, they enjoy trashing things. Yeah. Like, it's like, that's fun. It's sort of fun, whatever, like, a fun exercise for them. Like, the one, the LA Times writer said ironically friday the 13th part three is so terrible that friday the 13th part one and friday the 13th part two don't seem so bad it's like (laughs) what's the point of saying any of that yeah you know like why why even devote any time to that if that's what you're coming away with yeah great i don't know all right i mean i i like i'm not one to parse words when i think a movie is bad but i like 
unless you've specifically been like, like we do it because we are exploring that. I don't feel like these big time critics like need to cover Friday the 13th part three. Yeah. I think it's just, I wish I could. I I don't think they want to. I, I wish I could just say to them like, all right, you know, before the movie comes out. All right. So what do you think of this pitch? And just tell them the simple premise, you know, kids go off at cabin, get killed off by this kind of killer. If just something about the way they critique it makes me like want to know, is there, would they say to that, oh, there is some potential in that. And if so, what would that look like to them? That's just what I want to know so bad. But it's easy, I think, more what you're saying, just maybe to that premise, they would just say, oh, well, that's only going to be bad. And it's just, I wish I could just... If there's that that example of the first way, I would just love to pick their brain. <laughs> you know, if there yeah. are any of those people, there could be a version of this movie they liked. But I think you're probably right. Nope, they just, not for them. All right. Well, Friday the 13th, part three. We got three more part threes coming up. But I think we can wind down from this one with some recommendations as we like to do. You got one ready, Tim? I mean, look, I... I know it's one that most people have probably seen, but I went back. I, I watched this movie. I, I would say I've watched it upwards of 15 to 20 times. Um, it's one of my all time favorites. But every time I rewatch it, I'm just like astounded at how much I love it. And I watched it because of the Mystic Museum exhibit. I watched Evil Dead 2 specifically again. Um, I like Army of Darkness and I like Evil Dead, the original, but Evil Dead 2 holds the deepest special place in my heart. I I will watch that movie over and over and over <laughs> again and every time get a lot out of it and like laugh a lot and be super into it. So that's mine. It's look, it's it's October. If you're not watching an Evil Dead movie, what are you doing? <laughs> Respect. Absolutely. Uh, great. You know, I was going to say, oh, God, I don't know. Okay, I'll go ahead and say it because it's at least a horror director. Because, I don't know, you mentioning Evil Dead 2 just made me want to maybe say something I was explicitly more horror. But I've been watching, but whatever. Um, I've been just trying to catch up on the Cronenberg movies I haven't seen mm. and finally made it to a dangerous method from 2011 and I really liked it. So nice. I'm going to recommend edit the dangerous method. Cool. All right. Well, nothing to pull from the hat. We know what we're doing next week for a special. We'll be back with a nightmare on Elm street three colon dream warriors, which was just another funny thing about this title. Tim Friday the 13th part three has no colon in it. Unlike most films. that Unlike most people. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so another fan favorite, another third, and something that went on to be a full, full franchise with many entries. So, great. Until then, you can find us wherever you found us. We got an Instagram, all that good stuff. Got an email. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, yeah, we'll be posting. And our big ask is if you made it this far and you think you have a friend who would enjoy making it this far too, you should let him know about our fair show. 
Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Great. All right. So then in closing with a good <sighs> thanks for listening. Then we will see you next time. Good- Goodbye. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.